Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Mother! Aunt Jenny! Come quick! I was flying the kite and I got caught on a nanny! What's ever you talking about? Where did you get that kite? I found it in the park. She kept it from blowing away. Mary. Oh, Vince. Close your mouth, please, Michael. We are still not a codfish. Good heavens. It really is you. You seem hardly to have aged at all. Really? How incredibly rude. One never discusses a woman's age, Michael. Would have hoped I taught you better. I'm sorry, I didn't... You came back. I thought we'd never see you again. It is wonderful to see you. Yes, it is, isn't it? In Mary Poppins Returns, P.L. Travers' magical nanny is back. The follow-up to Disney's 1964 classic Mary Poppins, this new musical features Emily Blunt as Mary Poppins and Lin-Manuel Miranda as Jack. But how did the filmmakers create the sounds of this magical world? I'm Carolyn Giardina, and Renee Tondelli, the film's supervising sound editor and sound designer, answers that question on today's episode of The Hollywood Reporter's Behind the Screen. Renee, who served as supervising sound editor with Eugene Garrity, previously earned an Oscar nomination for Deepwater Horizon, and her credits also include Into the Woods, American Hustle, and Lone Survivor. Welcome, Renee. Hi. Before we delve into Mary Poppins, for the uninitiated, would you describe the role of the supervising sound editor and sound designer? The technical part first is that as a sound supervisor, the, you are, or I am responsible for all the sonic elements in the film. And to do that, wonderfully, is you get a great crew together, and the crew consists of dialogue editors, Foley editors, background editors, effects editors, and designers, sound designers. And from that point, we create the sound, and then we bring it to the stage and have it go through the mix process. And the mix process basically is the blending of all of these elements in a four to six week process. Now for Mary Poppins Returns, you have to know that many fans know the original by heart. So did that put a different kind of pressure on you? No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we all had a little bit of pressure going into this. Everyone knows those songs. I still know the songs. I love Mary Poppins, and we all working on this film really loved Mary Poppins. So that was the one 
universal thing going into it that we all had was this great love for her and the film. So the songs in themselves were very important because they're all new songs. It's a sequel. It's not a redo. So all of the songs, which are sung, some of them very quickly, some of them, you know, with British accents, with Cockney accents, it was really important to get all of the lyrics clear. That was a really important part of this process that we went through. So in order to do that, you're constantly dipping in and out of and enveloping and holding and, and supporting the songs throughout the movie. But yeah, it was, it was daunting for all of, all of us, but we just jumped in and loved it. Were the songs recorded live during production or pre-recorded? They were done both. Rob likes to do what he calls a camp, by the way. Working with him is just amazing. And he gets all of the actors together, just the actors and him and John DeLuca, his partner and producing partner. And they rehearse for two months all of the songs on the set without you know sets being built but there's boxes and things that represent where they are and what they're doing and so they learn this they learn the songs and they learn it with this wonderful muscle memory so they know when this particular part of the song comes in they might be jumping or they might be leaping or and it just becomes ingrained in when they do it so then and only then does he take them into the studio and they do what they call the studio records so when they're doing that, they're doing that with the same energy and, and memory of when they did it actually on the set. And then from that point, it's assembled, and it, when they're ready to start shooting the film, they do what they call playbacks. And Rob really likes them to feel the energy and to not be insecure or self-conscious about singing because a lot of the people in this well, just in general, it's he just wants them to be very supported. So he'll let them do, you know, he does about three or four or five or how many takes with music and pre-records playing, and they sing along. They actually sing along. They don't mouth it because you can really tell when someone's not singing. And it's really important for them to do it. So when the music is really loud, it's engaging, and they're, they're supported. And then he says, okay, now we're going to do it without playback. And it's you know, it gets a little intense, but he'll do three or four takes like that. And so we have the live versions and we also have the pre-records. Then when he goes through the editing process, it's always the best performance that he picks. So that may be the pre-record, it may be the live vocal, and it sometimes may even be the ADR. Since you had the music, but you also had the dialogue, you had the dancing, you had an animated sequence... Overall, what was the approach that you and Rob talked about going into it? Well, I always felt that Mary Poppins was magical realism. And Rob wanted everything dipped in realism. So it wasn't a fantasy approach that we took on it. It was a woman that's magical, and she does magical things. So that was sort of our palette. And then from that point, it was interesting to try to combine all these elements because, for instance, in the Royal Dalton Music Hall, there's live action, there's animation, there's CGI, there's all of these elements that come into putting this scene together. And it's quite a dance to make it all happen. 
It is my great honour to introduce this evening's renowned guest, the one, the only, Mary Poppins! Thank you, thank you very much, yes, thank you. Come on! Oh, no, no, no. Come on, now! Go. No, I haven't sung in years. No, I couldn't possibly. D flat major. Well, that was one of the scenes I was going to ask you about. So, as with the original, we have one scene where they step into a world that's hand animated. And in this one, we have Mary Poppins and Jack do a performance at this Royal Dalton Hall, and they perform with animated animals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> penguins, yes. Everyone always penguins. said, are there penguins in it? Yes, there are penguins. Yeah, it was quite amazing. When we first got Tell that... Tell us about putting all of that together. Yeah, that, <laughs> that was, was really fun. Scene. That was one of my favorite scenes, actually. But when we first got it, it was the main characters in a carriage with pencil drawings, basically. The carriage was moving, it was real, but they arrive in this bowl, in a porcelain bowl. And in order to make the audience believe that they're actually in a bowl, one of the things we did was to do a lot of impulse responses within bowls, clanging them and hitting them and putting drum mallets and broken pieces of ceramic and all sorts of elements of this. And we recorded it and then we took maybe five or six of them and we fed all the dialogue through that. Mike Presswood Smith did a beautiful job of that. As a matter of fact, I think we ended up using one of his bowls. So it has this wonderful reverb that they're actually inside a bowl. The steps, everything we did, one of the first things we did were the footsteps and the horse's feet because the horse becomes this rhythmic center of the music. He's, right. he's keeping up with, and he's doing a little wonderful little prance. And <laughs> so we were trying to figure out different ways to make that work. And we tried a bunch of different bowls and sinks and things. And finally, Eugene actually said, he said, why don't we just use coconuts, which is a really old school way of doing horse hoofs. You know, everybody actually uses horse hoofs now. So the Foley artists in Toronto were amazing. We had two Foley teams, one in New York and one in Toronto. This was Footsteps in Toronto. And he took coconuts on marble and then also did drum mallets in the porcelain sink. They got a huge porcelain sink, so they had these ring-offs of what the horse would actually sound like prancing in a, in a ceramic bowl. And that was very tricky because you had to keep it in absolute sync. And if it went off a little bit, you could hear it, you know. So there was one time that it went off and we couldn't figure out what it was and it was driving Rob crazy. So we actually ended up rolling picture to make it work because in the animation, you could not change picture because they were hand drawn frame by frame and each frame would cost, you know, a fortune to redo. So we had to keep within the actual animation at that point. And then that and all the feet for the children, like each child had a different pitch and a different, they all had their steps and we had the carriage as a ceramic element also. So stepping on the carriage had these ceramic steps going up to it. And then once we got into what we call the Royal Dalton Music Hall, 
that's a real traditional music hall, which is very different than what we have here in America. But a real British music hall is rowdy and boisterous and they call out and they interact with the people on the stage. And it's, it was quite fun. And all we really had for a long time was pencil drawings because we just didn't know, you know, what was going to happen. But they kept telling us, oh, no, it's going to be filled with animals. It's going to be filled with animals. So we were imagining what was going on. And so in order to do the audience, which was really quite fun because we thought, okay, it's 2D animation, but they're all moving and talking and calling out to Mary and singing along because they all know her song. So they're all singing the chorus when she goes into the chorus. So to do that, I went to London and I hired about 70 or 80 actors who could actually sing. And we didn't want it to be cartoony, the voices. So we had them do all these British aisle accents and it was really fun and they would also sing out along with Mary and then we filled the whole rafters with them so it became this big Atmos music hall which was really fun. And Atmos is Dolby's immersive sound format where you can really place the sounds around right. the theater. Did you use that frequently? It's hard in a musical. The songs and the lyrics were very important so we put that always center. But this was one scene where we could really have fun with it because it was an element that really lended to it. But sure. yeah, of course we did it and you have to be careful with it sometimes. I mean, what it, we did use it with music to open it up, which was really beautiful when we did it. It's not specifically object oriented, but it does open up the score wonderfully. Now the Royal Dalton Hall number was called A Cover Is Not The Book. <laughs> And uh, another song in the film is Trip the Light Fantastic, which, as I understand it, was a very challenging Foley scene. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, they were both wonderful to do. We spent about seven days doing Foley. The choreographers, the co-choreographers, Joey Pizzi and Tara Hughes, came to, one lives in New York, but Tara came out, and they hired seven or eight dancers, and they went to a studio and for two days learned all the steps. Dancers are amazing. They can learn things really quickly like that. <laughs> and then we went to a Foley stage at C5 in New York and I had them build floors for us. So for Cover is Not the Book, when we first did the Foley for that, and that was something we did very early on because Foley really does help center and hold a musical number the best out of everything because the music is often so big and and wonderfully orchestrated that it's hard to get a lot of things in there but Foley really does ground the song and make the audience really believe that that really happened at that moment in that scene and the stage was just green screen green blocks and a stage and we had to imagine that they were going to be books and paper books and leather books and pop-up books and so I didn't really know what they were so I had them build leather stop top stages with slate floors with wooden floors and because of the nature of doing it with dance you actually start the dancers from the beginning and you go all the way through you don't stop and say let's do you know this scene now let's do this they do it's a musical number and that's actually how Rob even shoots it he shoots it as a complete number so it allows the 
freedom of I, the actor, the dancer had a lot of work to do, Joey Pizzi, because he had to jump off on all these different stages and floors while the song was going, because at this point he'd be on a leather book and at this point he'd be on the stage. And so he did a lot of that for me, which was amazing. And, and fortunately, it all worked out when we actually got the animation back. But in Trip the Light, there were 50 odd dancers there. And again, the way Rob does that, he does it like a Broadway show. So you're sitting in the audience and you're watching it. They don't stop and say, okay, let's take it from this part. They do the entire number all the way through. And the way he does his choreography, there was probably five rows deep of different dancing going on. So the back row of dancers were sort of shuffling and the, the middle, the second row would be doing all the hand wipes and the third one would be doing spinning and jumping off of the lamppost and another one would be, then you'd have the foreground tumblers going by and then bikes zooming through and then a fountain exploding. And so in order to do that, we had to build, we did the slate floors, we did all the other floors and then I brought in these pipes the they had this wonderful pig iron pipe that was thick and solid so all the actors would then jump on that when they were jumping up on the lamppost but then jumping back down and doing the rest of the dance on the slate or then on the gravel bits and and it was really fun to do that and then Eugene of course covered all the bikes he did a great job with the bikes because that was another a whole nother element to it he worked with Al Zielinski, who was our sound effects editor, too, on that, and they had recorded a lot of bikes. They were really BMX bikers, and they were amazing, apparently, and this, Rob said that they never missed their beat. Like, those guys were great. <laughs> they were just, when it came on, and they had to do all these things, like jump off and land and do wheelies and all kinds of bits. Troubles are incessant, simply be more incandescent For your life comes with a lifetime guarantee As you Simply your life fantastic Won't you? Simply your life fantastic Come on Simply your life fantastic intimate scene was when Ben Winshaw sings the conversation at the bank's home. Yeah, that the most important part really of a musical and especially for Rob is to never signal to the audience that a song is about to happen. So it's really important that it organically flows from the scene into the song along with the emotional content of the film, the emotional quotient. So for that one, it's this scene where Ben Wishaw is up in the attic and he's talking to his wife who has passed away. And he's rumbling through things looking for a particular certificate. And he starts talking. And through this conversation, he then starts to sing and then he goes back to talking and he goes back to singing and he goes in and out back and forth so many times weaving the performances that Rob picked that it was really like micro editing often syllable by syllable between me and Jennifer Dunnington who was our uber music editor 
we were constantly going back and forth, passing things, passing all of the songs back and forth. I would take a crack at it, and she would then go back. And, and it was really important to make it feel really organic. And Mike Presswood Smith did an amazing job on that, where he was able to blend all these different elements and make the audience believe that it really did happen in that attic, which most of it did. Most of it was live. And the Foley helped on that, too. If we didn't already cover it, what was the trickiest either sound to get or scene to do? That was one of them. I think all of the songs were complicated. And for Eugene, who did a lot of the chase scene at the end, when there, there's a nightmare at the end of the Royal Dalton Ball, when the wolf comes, uh, who is the Colin Farrell character, but as his alter ego is a wolf, and there's this chase scene where with the children and him and he's in a Stanley steamer, which Eugene came out here and recorded Jay Leno's Stanley steamer. He happened to have one of those. And it was, you know, that was another one where the, the animation kept coming in. It came into the very end really. And we wanted to make it frightening and powerful, but also still contained within a ceramic bowl. So there was this, sort of delicateness to it. You always had this ceramic quality to it that you never felt that they got out of it. But that that took a lot of work, and Eugene did a beautiful job on that. A lot of Foley done in Toronto on that, and that was complicated. But I think the most challenging possibly was the, was the Royal Dalton Hall because it was a fine line to get the lyrics clear because that's, you know, it's very quick. Even Jack does a rap at that moment, so his lyrics are rapid-fire quick and get all of these elements of everyone's contributing in the audience to it without competing with what was going on. And mixing that, that was probably one of my most fun ones, but I, I think that could be it. What was it like to work with Rob Marshall? He's amazing. Rob creates families, and he pretty much handpicks everybody that he works with. He is so focused. I've never worked with a director like him. There's nothing that he doesn't know about. There's not a breath. There's not a footstep. There's not a color that he is not aware of, that he does not pay attention to. He is so completely focused, and he's just so accomplished. And his sense of rhythm is in every single thing we do. He's got impeccable timing and rhythm, so every single cadence of sounds and breaths and everything we do as a sound team works with what he does and it's he, he's just really special I'm very lucky to have worked with him for five movies this is my third musical with him so he's remarkable now Emily Blunt you had worked with before on Into the Woods what is she like to work with she is such a genius I have to say, I, I first of all, I had no idea that she could sing on Into the Woods. I was blown away with her voice. She was just so talented. And she really is a genius because she comes in and she knows her lines. She knows everyone else's lines. She knows what to do. She's very prepared. And she gets completely involved in the character that she's in. I remember we had to have her do a few ADR lines on Into the Woods and we needed them quickly, and she was filming Sicario as this tough DEA agent down in New Mexico. And so I said, Emily, can you just go into the car with the sound man and see if you can just, you know, get this 
these few lines for us. And she was like, okay. So here she comes, jumps in the car. You can hear her voice and her character as this DEA agent. Then he hits record and she instantly just becomes the character in Into the Woods and gets her accent back and is that person and embodies it. I was so impressed with that. The same thing happened on, on Mary Poppins. She had just finished playing a drunk, you know, in a uh, girl on a train. And, <laughs> and then she went off and did a quiet place where she was screaming and a whole different thing. And she came in and she was immediately Mary Poppins when she walked in. She's just so talented. I mean, she just blows me away. And now this was your first time working with Lin-Manuel Miranda, who you actually met, I understand, at the uh, Academy Awards uh, nominees luncheon. Yes, I did. I came up to him and I said, Lin, I'm going to be working with you on Mary Poppins. And he said, oh, my God, I just finished the scene with the penguins. (laughs) I was so terrified. I'm so happy it's over. And I said, well, why were you so terrified? And he said, well, I'm, I'm not used to doing someone else's songs. You know, it was really... They weren't his. Usually when he writes his own, it's very easy for him. But he said, and then I had to know that the penguin at this point was on my cane and the penguin was sneaking between my legs at this point. And of course, they were all men in green suits, you know, on their hands and knees being penguins. But he was he was pretty amazing. And uh, he's just a delight. He is one of the purest energy actors I've ever met. Like he just has this wonderful innocence about him. And he's always happy, which is kind of odd, but he really is that. He is who you think he is. So what was the most enjoyable thing about working on this film? Well, I will say this was a very unique film. And a lot of it has to do with Rob because of the the teams and the families that he creates. But this particular team, our new, our family had worked together on Into the Woods. And many of us have worked with Rob on other films too. Wyatt Smith is the picture editor who's just fantastic. And I met him and we started working together on Nine. And this particular film was the most collaborative film I've ever worked on. When I started this film, I spoke with Eugene and I said, I really want to create a new paradigm for this film, which is we all work together. It's not, I just do this and you do this, and then we show up at the stage and we bring our stuff together. So we did. We actually had this process where every department was dipping in and out of the other ones, and we were so happy. There was no ego. It wasn't like if I said, hey, I think I can make this better. What if we did this? And the music department might take something here and fix that. And we all just constantly collaborated with one another. And really, more than any other film I've ever worked on, it was it was quite special that way. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into the business and how did you rise to take on motion pictures like Mary Poppins? Oh, well, I started in radio. I always wanted to be in the film business, but I was in Chicago and I got a job in radio. And that was really where I first learned how to tell stories through sound. And I went to school for film and design in Chicago, but then I I came out here because that's what I wanted to do. And I ended up getting involved in, I, I guess I wanted to direct really, and then I came out here and then I started working at Canon Pictures, 
I walked in and said, I want a job. And he said, well, can you edit? And I said, yeah, sure. And he said, good, because someone just quit. <laughs> so I got a job there starting out. And, and like anything, even though I went and learned 16 millimeter in film, it's completely different on 35 millimeter, which is what we were working with at the time. So everything I'd learned, I had to really relearn. And actually, every film that I start, I almost have to relearn. It's like, how am I going to tell this story differently? What am I going to do on this one that's different? So there's always a new skill set that you bring and you learn on each film. But I started at Canon, which they the slogan was, it's where you started or ended your career. So I started my career there. And I went through that and somehow got involved with, I was drawn more to dialogue because it was more storytelling and it was the center channel and it was more where I started. But I just ended up, I don't know, I, you just start working with people and you form relationships, you know. And one of the things to do, which I think a lot of women don't do, is that we all wait till we're ready. And we wait till we've had the three degrees because we couldn't possibly do it until we're that prepared. And I think for men, they just are more ready to jump in and try things because you have to learn it anyway. So, you know, for me, I grew up in a family of 11 and I was surrounded by five brothers. So I learned pretty quickly how you had to just, as my mother would say, if you don't ask, you don't get because she couldn't pay attention to you. you know, it was like, unless you come up to her and say, I am sick. She doesn't understand. She can't see it. So I just asked, I asked pretty early on that, you know, this is what I want to do. Can I do this? Can, you know, this is, and, and telling people what you want, because if they don't know what you want, they can't really help you. So I felt that in my experience, and I tell this to a lot of the women that I work with and mentor is that you need to just ask, you need to know what you want and then ask for it because no one can help you otherwise. Women are still very underrepresented in your field in particular. Do you see anything changing? It was definitely a male portal for a long time. And I do see it changing. And it's very exciting. It's so wonderful to see women out there. Because honestly, it's a job that a lot of people don't even understand, don't even know that it's there. I came through it circuitously, but coming through radio, I understood sound and I understood the power of editing and what you could do to create a world on the radio to make your listeners believe that they, you were actually in this space. So for me, I knew about it and I knew that there was that world, but a lot of women I don't think even knew about it. They don't even know about it. And I think they do now. I think it's you know, the world is really opening and I'm, I'm meeting some amazing women out there. They're just really talented and wonderful. And I also think that, you know, there's been a crack that's happened. There's, it's definitely opened up. I started a while ago and there were very few women that were in the business. I still find myself the only woman with, maybe there's now two of us or three of us on a stage with mostly men, but that's changing. Well, I'm very glad you were able to come in and join us and talk to us. Thank you so much, and congratulations on the film. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was really nice. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. 
Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.